And I want to talk about the American Revolution, which happened between 1765 and 1783. And in case nobody's familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one in particular I would, uh, you know, I would argue is a different identity because America. This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. I like your little, uh, your 50 pesos over there. My 50 pe- yeah, well, yeah. that was uh, that was when we went to Mexico and, and shit, I'm gonna date, that's like 2000 and, oh, when did Matt and I go? It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Was it fun? Where do you, where'd you go in Mexico? Well, we went to, um, oh God, so it was, it was Cabo. San Lucas? Cabo San Lucas, but yeah. it was like, it was about an hour outside of Cabo and like oh, okay. a small little town. It's. Oh man, I can't even you remember. Shot or- no, no, no. <laughs> it's it, actually it's, it's it's like a growing thing. I think Gene Simmons opened up his his bar down there. <laughs> Gene Simmons. I'm dead serious. I haven't it's thought like about a, that man. In it's like years. a kiss bar, like yeah. a, a and I know that there, there's like the Baja Brewing Company, which they tried to. Yeah. Um, garbage beer. <laughs> like they're trying, you know what I mean? It's, hard, it's like, it's like Mexico is one of their first craft brew industries and they're trying to get into that. And, yeah. and I applaud them for that. I mean, even most Mexican beers like either aren't brewed in Mexico, uh, or they have brewing techniques that are nowhere near for Mexico. So it's like, yeah. So yeah. anyway, long story short, it was just, their beer was not very good, but, mm-hmm. but you know, then again, they're trying to tap into the craft at brew industry and it's very, very prominent on your ingredients, especially because mainly yeah. beer only has those main four. Um, and depending on where you get those main four, it's, it's, yeah, he's know, putting four in my fingers right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting four, four fingers, fingers up in Ian's he's putting face. Four in my fingers. I know yeah. that he's a little slow and I need yeah. to help him out. Yeah, with, I got to like, count on my count. Yeah. One, one, two, two three, three, yeah. seven. There's four. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah. um, All right. Anyway, well, well, welcome to the necessary, necessary bullshit podcast. podcast. Oh, so, see that? Tom. Yeah, see that was great. We we planned that. It's a an experimental, ongoing conversation between an idiot and an even bigger idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dumb and Dumber was already taken. Yeah, so, so we, we had to fix it up. Yeah, idiot and even bigger idiot doesn't <laughs> yeah. have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. But you know what? I can emphasize it like that: uh, an idiot and an even bigger. Idiot. Like, you, you can't go, yeah. say dumb and dumber. It's called a fluctuation. Like a, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Articulation. Uh, encephalitis. <laughs> Remember, you got are, are those your acting skills coming out? This is what he does yeah. like, when he goes, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. teach how to act or he just like, this is the sound well, that you make well, think about mouth. it, especially if you're doing Shakespeare. They have a lot of different, they have a lot more consonants. You use your mouth much more. There's more, it's more, the words are more beefy. And the thing is, that was like yeah. any other muscle. I mean, we especially you know, in theater, right? Yeah. Like, well, actors treat the mouth as a muscle, and like any other muscle, it's got to be warmed up, it's got to be uh, flexed, it's got to be exercised. <clears throat> and so you do vocal warm ups to exercise the oh, way yeah. that the muscles in your mouth move in order for you to hit all those juicy consonants and vowels. Mm-hmm. I love those juicy consonants. <laughs> yeah. So, what the heck are we doing? Uh, a few things today. I think. I think we wanted to touch a little bit. So this is going to be kind of a bonus episode, I guess. I, I think eventually. We probably mentioned this on the podcast before. When we get a little bit more followers and maybe start a Patreon, the bonus episodes will probably be for patrons and subscribers only. Yeah, uh, just because like 
nobody wants to really listen to us talk that much. <laughs> well, let's be honest, too. I mean, we have, you know, a certain amount of upload time a month, and sometimes mm-hmm. we kind of get to that little window where we're about to reload, and we don't have enough for a full episode, but we have a little left over. So we thought, you know what? Let's get together and do bonus episodes. Yeah, we and got I about think, like an hour and a half to record. Right. So, so whatever, we're going to be just, you know, like, the, you know, but again, we want to run the risk of not, some of the podcasts I've heard, you just, they just sound like people have just put a mic in the center of the room, and they have no idea what they're doing. But not that it. not that we have that much, uh, but knowing. What we're doing, <laughs> but, but damn it, they're just going to record there are some that are way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the the benefit about Ian and myself is we're both bloggers, and so we both write, and uh, we get the chance to come on here and not only promote what we're doing, but also critique each other. And I think they're pretty interesting points that we're making, and I think you guys would agree. But the first thing I will say is that. Before we get into what we're doing, we just released our latest episode, episode, episode nine, nine, yeah, um, which you know released a couple days ago, and, and it'll probably be out for a couple more days before you hear this. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because halfway through the episode, we have details on how to enter our contest to have a chance to win a. $200 Visa gift card. And get a shout out, a personal shout out. And a personal shout out. Yeah. So uh, we yeah. encourage you, episode nine is live. It's about the anti vaxxers and Andrew Yang. And go listen to that for details on how to enter. Yeah. So I think uh, the first thing, I think, you know, just before we got into get into uh, some of the articles uh, for today, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Mueller report. Is that still on the docket? Yeah. So I just, uh, you know, everybody's excited and everybody is antsy. <laughs> I guess and so. I'm, I'm not slightly gonna, apathetic. I but. guess, I don't know, I have like my notification on and, and my, my big boss, my director of pub operations, she, uh, she is also a big politics uh you know, kind of digester. Consumer, yeah. Consumer. Politics, yeah. Um, and so her and I, obviously, we, we see eye to eye in a lot of stuff, so the conversations are relatively mild, but we do <laughs> like to, we get really, you know, back and forth on what's going on. And I remember we we're both sitting in the office and our text message tones went off and we both looked at our phone. At the same time. <laughs> at the same time, almost. And then we both looked at our phone and the one thing that I read literally says like, Mueller handed over his report to Barr, yeah. and I look up, and she looks up, and like the report, and you know, yeah. you, we just got excited. But then, you yeah. know, it, there's so many questions, and so you know, the yeah. fact is that yeah. with William Barr, the one thing that I really told Ian that I kind of attorney, wanted, the current attorney general, yeah, right? the current attorney general. The yeah. reason why I wanted to, to tell Ian to probably like hash this out because I kind of want to make a bet about right now. It's 100 percent speculation of what's going to happen, uh-huh. but the fact is that Barr got the report. Now, granted, this report has taken o- almost over, like over two years to complete, and in a day and a half, he writes a four-page response and sends it. And now the entire GOP is just freak, like it's just basically Trump's exonerated. Like the whole thing is going. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Democrats are also starting to like find different angles to come at it. Both sides are like equally scared and nervous. And then you have people that are trying to be reasonable that are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody just needs to calm down. I'm not going to judge. You know, well, all especially, this in- especially when Barr like chose to only publish some of it publicly, not the entire report of Mueller's. He hasn't even done anything like that yet, unless that's relatively well, I mean, new. Yeah, well, no, he's done a four. He's, he's okay. He's done a four-page summary with 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 yeah, like little that's quotes. A, yeah. yeah, that's a, yeah, that's that's basically what I'm getting at. Like, okay, he, yeah, yeah. Like he hasn't like really given us the beef of the report, which. I don't know. I mean, because that's that's up that's up to the attorney general if he wants to release right. that. So probably. according to Barr, what we do know is that Mueller did make the decision that there was no collusion with Russia on Trump's 
Trump Trump, Trump's administration, Trump personally, uh, there was no Russian collusion. Yes. Now, what gets fascinating is the obstruct the obstruction of justice charges. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because this is these are the two arguments. You know, you're studying philosophy, and I think this would be good for us to flesh out. So, Mueller didn't make a decision. One way or the other on obstruction of justice mm-hmm. uh, that we know of. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it, there's evidence on either side, and his one job was to not be bipartisan, and, and, and he, was, he was disconnected from the politics, was supposed to make a choice, and on obstruction, he hasn't made a choice. Now, there are two sides. There's the GOP kind of argument. Again, I'm generalizing, but this is kind of what it is. Yeah. Their argument is saying that, well, if the collusion has been... If the collusion has been definitive that it didn't happen, yeah, then by default, therefore, no obstruction could have happened because you can't obstruct a crime that has been proven to not have been committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other side that goes, well, obstructing the search of the crime is just as valid as if there even was a crime itself. itself. So basically they're saying that like when you do things that obstruct the, the prosecutors or or the, the, you know, the, the Mueller's team of looking into this, obstructing them looking into it is still obstruction of the justice process. So I guess it's a matter of when you look at justice, would you say that obstruction is involved with the process or would you say it's more involved with the actual crime itself? Uh well, <clears throat> a couple things. I, I guess like when it comes to obstructing uh, the investigation uh, on uh, on its face, that seems like something that is falls back more onto the people who are actually responsible of the crime, and it and it seems to be excuse me that uh, that since the Trump administration and Trump himself really didn't have anything to do with it, then I don't know what they could be obstructing. Now they could be being playfully ignorant right and they could be like well we didn't you know we didn't know all this kind of stuff and so i don't know but my my biggest thing is like i don't know how much validity that actually holds uh when it comes to just the trump administration in general because i think we should be worrying more about what to do about the actual you know kind of villains at hand and that is like the kremlin and russia and 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 how much influence Putin had, because I think that what we already knew, you know, uh, was that our intelligence community said that, like, look, the Russians in, intentionally hacked our, at least tried to uh, attack our um, our election boards and tried to interfere in some way. You know, the uh, WikiLeaks got a hold of d- critical DNC information and handed that over to the Russians. Um, you know, the whole thing, especially with uh, Bernie Sanders and, and Hillary Clinton on who was going to be on the docket, that whole issue. So I think there's a bigger issue looming over us with how responsible we should view Russia in this. And I think the onus goes on to, you know, depending on how much information is, of course, released to the public and uh, and where the responsibility lies on, on, on that kind of process, I think that Congress has some kind of responsibility to figure out what should we do with the Russia problem. And I think that if we sit down, I mean, not us personally, but if we, but if we continue to talk about, you know, problems of obstruction of justice and the Trump administration and how much at fault it really is, because somebody like, okay, so Bill Maher, 
you know, said that after the, after the Mueller report, it's just like, okay, no obstruction of justice, but we, but we still know that he's a traitor, Trump, you know, and it's like, okay, how much is that really helping right. sitting here trying to talk about that? You know, if anything, that's fueling more of, well, that's fueling both Democratic and Republican bases, I think. You know, you say like, oh, he's a traitor, you know, the, the, the people on the right, they're going to be like, look, Mueller didn't incriminate him in any way. Like, we're totally in the right. And now when it comes to, you know, in a, a year from now, when it comes time for the elections, we're just going to be like, hey, our guy's the good guy. He didn't have anything to do with this. Fuck Russia, you know, and we're just going to vote him in again. Whereas people on the left, they're going to be like, man, maybe there is some other, you know, hidden secret conspiracy going on here. Maybe he was obstructing justice, especially when we know so little um, then that's going to reinvigorate them and try and, and push back against his base and, and just have this kind of shit-throwing game again like there was in 2016. So I don't know. I just don't know how much validity there is to the actual case of obstruction of justice, especially when we have so little information and when Mueller is just kind of, uh, I guess, almost indifferent to be like, well, I don't know whether to charge him with that or, or whether or not or, or whether not to. I just don't feel like it's my place to. I think again that falls on Congress, depending on how how much information they're given. So right, but I think yeah. that I guess more of what I'm getting at is it's always it's always yeah it's important to understand that there is a larger problem. I'm not discrediting that. Of course, not, yeah, you know course. whether or not you believe in collusion, what did actually happen was they did interfere and they did their job very successfully. Um, we have been at odds with each other. Ever since, so this kind of like idealism of of disrupting an election through a social platform and 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 creating up with this 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 way of being able to attack people's mentality by spamming them with either echo chamber rhetoric or other things to make them upset, as we've learned that anger right. anger feels passion, so more people are Very much so. Yeah, so you know, more people are prone to click articles if they if they make them more triggering. Um, and then we just get triggered all the time and then that triggered. and then the, well that translates to outside of this the phone screen. But yeah. what I was getting at is the fact that with the New York Times kind of in, in the Daily Podcast, what they were alluding to was, you know, Look at all the people in his radar that have been indicted that have been in trouble. Now it's not yeah. it's not connected to Russian collusion, of course, but it is connected to lying to Congress. Mm-hmm. It is connected to not being truthful. It is connected to being shady, and and it's the sense of you know you one could make the argument that there's a lot of hostility around Trump's businesses, around his tax returns, around what he's doing, and in, in that regard, and around the oh, payment, and around yeah. campaign finance violations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Trump being, you know, whatever you love him or hate him, if, if Trump was, they're arguing that Trump is smart enough to know that if Mueller was investigating his life into Russia collusion, what else could Mueller find? And what else could Mueller be a part of? So the collusion was necessarily not Trump's motivation for obstruction of justice. His motivation was to prevent them from investigating other aspects of his life, which now they're starting to do. Um, the New York attorney has a different case against him where they're looking into his businesses and they're looking yeah. into... But that's the, that's the, that's the New York attorney general. Right, right, but what I'm saying, though, that's but that stemmed from the Mueller report. That's that's That was... That was maybe Mueller I mean, handed over some of that yeah, information yeah, yeah. and no, took it, it over from certainly, there. Certainly, I, I just so, think that. So the argument that, that that they're saying is that like the, the obstruction charges for justice, you know, there's two ways to view it. You can view it in the lens that that obstruction only connected to Russian collusion. So if you're thinking of that way, then you're correct. But if obstruction is simply just trying to interfere 
with the investigation process to prevent them from finding other things, yeah. even though that it wouldn't be directly connected to the initial first clause of Russian collusion, mm-hmm. is that still obstruction? Is it obstruction to fire somebody or to do this or that? maybe have people lie? Now, of course, this is, again, 100% speculation, but it's still an interesting idea to really kind of bounce back in your own head about, okay, like, is obstruction linked towards his personal system? Like, we got an argument in one of the last episode about his tax returns and how I said... Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember because I had said that if he had nothing to hide, why not show it? And you said oh, that that was yeah, a bad argument. And then I basically followed suit by saying that, that the only argument that it isn't bad for would be the man who runs this country, the most you know powerful position in the United States and arguably the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just... Yeah... I don't know. Again, I, I, I sort of, I, I sort of feel like that the obstruction charge is a little bit beyond its scope. But when it comes to his other personal dealings, especially when we can tackle them on non-national levels, I agree. You know, uh, especially you know with his tax returns, especially when it when it comes to evading uh, certain inv- uh, investigations in the state of New York, like that's something that should be concerning to us. But uh, when it comes to I don't know when it when it comes to something as serious as as the Russia investigation. You know, if if there was evidence of him trying, you know, either him or his aides or somebody in his administration personally trying to hide information or uh, obstruct in some way, like his his dealings uh, or um, his involvement with a with some type of collusion, then yeah, like that to me is something that we could directly get him on, you know, but like, look, man, you're trying to directly stop what, you know, us trying to figure out what's going on here. Mueller didn't, you know, Mueller specifically said that they're like, look, there's no collusion here. And I'm kind of indifferent on the obstruction of justice charge. So how much should we actually push in that direction? But then when it comes to his, uh, you know, whether or not there's tax fraud going on and actually releasing his tax information, I don't know. I mean, that seems like something that normal everyday billionaires do. <laughs> yeah, know, I just, yeah, that's true. And, I just and, I get, and how and how much of that information gets released uh, every day. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying what I'm trying to say. Like, what are, what are the ends of 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 all of this? You know, like. Well, the ends are, are, you know, he's still running, you know, he still has a company to run on top of being the president. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's probably skirted a lot of those responsibilities, but at the end of the day, it's it's, it's his name on all those buildings, and yeah. it's, he's the one that's operating that. So I think what it is, it's a classic situation of, you know, Trump has always been really good about um, having all these closets, uh, having all these skeletons in the closets be released and then nobody caring. You know, yeah. I think somebody made that joke like there was a president once that was that was denied because he couldn't spell potato. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, 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 we'll, we'll pull somebody up somebody in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, we'll put it. Like we'll that. put it. We'll put it up in the show notes. Um, sure. Yeah. But the My thing is, yeah, 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 I know. I'll, I'll check and send it to him too. But there is a president that like spelled potato wrong, and he was elected out of office because of that. So you know, there's and there's That's been jokes that's been yeah. made about it. So I guess for me, I can understand that if you're doing business with Russia or if you want to build a Trump Tower in Russia, mm-hmm. and you all of a sudden get slapped in this crazy collusion stuff because Russian maybe at the same time happened to interfere. Maybe it's serendipitous. Maybe it's completely coincidental. That's the link that he happened to be doing a business deal for his business when they were also working on, def- you know, yeah, in- yeah. invading the 
or, you know, manipulating the election. <laughs> and he probably saw that and was like, shit, you know, I don't want to lose. I don't want to do this and that. Like, I really want to win. So he, you know, was hiding his deals with Russia that maybe had nothing to do with the actual collusion of mm-hmm. the election. Mm-hmm. But it was still hiding his business deals to not appear in a negative light to continue to be elected, you know, because this was back yeah. in 2016. And yeah. so... Now the obstruction, and this is where I think Mueller probably had a difficult time. And again, I'm just speculating here, but the collusion, we, Mueller's like, yeah, there was no collusion. Now, but obstruction could mean, okay, so Mueller, go, Mueller can view it, all right, well, he's technically not doing any obstruction because he didn't collude. But at the same time, a lot of people around him are lying, and we've just found out that he's lied about like the extension of the deal, whether you believe it or not, about the Russian Tower deal. And so one could almost say that, well obstruction in the sense of finding out that he was doing stuff with Russia part of his business and he didn't want people to know that before the election. Right. So his obstruction to block, you know, prosecutors from knowing that. Now granted it's already out and about, so maybe we can say no, there's no obstruction. But again, that's why obstruction is it succeeding or is it just the, the art of trying? Yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I there's just a lot of questions and a lot of way sure. to interpret yeah, it. And I think that's why it's that's why I'm I can't wait to see how much of it will be released and, and who's going to interpret it. And obviously the things with politics is that you put it in front of the eyes of either a Republican or a Democrat and they will interpret it in the lens that they that they view the world politically in. And they will be very cautious with making sure that they are attuned to their party when they describe what they feel or believe yeah. at the report. I guess I guess the, the test um uh, to all of this will be how we feel in either 2020 or 2024. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I, he he could very well be a, a one-term president. I don't think so. I think uh, all of this stuff is just going to be more uh, more vigor for his base to, to get him reelected. Um, but either way, when his presidency is done with, I think that, I don't think that Trump will just ride off into uh, obscurity and to, and to, uh, to a place where nobody gives a shoot about him anymore. I mean, he's still going to be the guy. He's, he's, Trump is still going to be everywhere. Um, but I think his presidency will be this strange blip on the map of the U.S. history. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, no, no, no other election will be the same. No. I tweeted uh, about that, too. Yeah. I think one of my first tweets was <sighs> like, I wonder how all of this is going to look in history books in like the next you know yeah. fifty to eighty years because it's like how will he how will how will this era be prescribed will be written in history because it's fascinating that we are so polarized that that there are two completely different views on his presidency yeah like vastly different yeah yeah like this is the only president really where I think that it's been extremely divided in the fact that like there are people that think he's amazing there are people that think he's the most horrible garbage human being on the planet. Yeah. And it's the fact that like, it's going to be really see funny to see how this plays out in a history book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a, a few months ago we were, uh, my wife and I were taking our uh, son to Barnes and Noble to just get some books for him. Yeah. And you know, they, they have educational books that, uh, that show all the U S presidents and you know, I've seen those all my life, and it was just really weird flipping through it and like, oh, there's Trump. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be in every <laughs> yeah, presidential. He's, like, yeah. he's in those. Now. He's and, in and, the history, and book. he's probably going to be. You know, like I would imagine too that in the next hundred years, there's going to be you know books written about him and and like just his idea of the camp, like oh, where he sure. started. Yeah, and yeah. you know, like any culture, you progress and then you look back on the you're culture. Like, you're like, we yeah. were animals. Yeah. You know, how did we do this? <laughs> yeah. You know, you look at our yeah. civilized culture and we think about what we were doing hundred years ago or two hundred yeah, years ago. Yeah. And we're like, we always critique ourselves, but it's just going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think too, 
you know, if he is, excuse me, I'm drinking, uh, uh, I'm drinking these liqueurs and LaCroix. It's soda. It's soda. It's soda water. <laughs> it's soda water. But you know what though? It's carbonated and it makes me burp. But yeah. So I think that if he does take a second term, it will be because of the electoral college. That's absolutely true because I mean, <laughs> are we going to get into this? I, no, I just, no. Okay. I the just, only reason I'm going to say yeah, that yeah. is because the generation that is, that is most upset about all of this, you know, they will be of age to vote or two years of age to vote in 2020, which they did not have in the last election. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Electoral College has decided a lot of elections. Right. Well, what, what I'm saying, though, is that like four years ago, whether or not you want to believe it, like, you know, you can say that as fraud, you can say whatever, but he had, you know, 2.6 or I mean, whatever. Trump lost the popular vote by 2 million, 3 million, whatever, yeah, in between yeah. 2 to 3 million. The number's yeah. not important, but what is important is that he lost it by a chunk of a couple million. And then the Electoral College put him in. But that was even back in 2016 where the, the I keep messing, the Gen Zers, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the Gen Zers will now be a voting age. Yeah. Everybody from the shootings, everybody, uh, you know, you have all this massacring that's going on in America, and they feel that like they're they're not safe, they're underrepresented, and and a lot of that is directed towards Trump. So those that group, that body of of students that are just active, more active than I've seen students be in quite some time, politically. You know, I've seen more political optimism in high school students than I think I've seen. Mm-hmm. ever or heard well, it's of kind or, of always been that way i mean maybe high, not, high school the young early college i think i'm not sure i mean i don't know like when we were in high school i did there definitely wasn't a lot of that going on i mean po- i don't poss- know maybe we just weren't weren't as aware oh i was definitely not aware yeah. um but anyway those people will just be allowed to vote so it's going to be fascinating to see what the voting well, patterns would be i mean yeah i mean yes but i mean every election we only get about uh 50 of eligible voters who actually vote that's fair yeah uh, and i mean I don't know, and as, especially since young people are less likely to vote anyway. Uh, yeah, not but, when they're you know, motivated. I mean, maybe. I mean, there were a lot of motivated people in 2016, and still, like there was there was not many, very many t- turnout uh, for millennial voters. Yeah, and but so, it's but it's still uh, it's, it's a midterm election has different standards than an actual presidential. No, I mean in 2016. And, in 2016. Oh, in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I just I just uh, I guess it's not that I'm pessimistic or or anything like that. I just think that um, you know. Not that history, not that the the future can change. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we we can't just assume that because something has happened in the past, it'll continue to happen. But I think trends uh, show that you know uh, how consistent uh, the voting demographic is, and um, I just I don't know. I mean, if, I mean, of course, it's either going to be it's either going to come down to the electoral college or a popular vote. Yeah, but uh, I, yeah, well, that's the only two ways that I can't go. Down. Yeah, but I, I, know, I'm I, just going to be the only reason why that I think that it's going to suck if he doesn't win. Yeah, you heard me say that. Oh no. Yep. What are you a, a new Trump supporter? <laughs> no, I'm not. What's going to suck if he doesn't win is he's just going to bitch like a baby. They rigged the election. They did this. He's just, he's not going to take the honorable, you know, he's not going to understand that in an election, people win and people lose. Yeah. yeah. And you are happy to, like, if he is the one that loses, I uh, fully, he will, he will cause a stink as loud well, of course, and, of as, course, yeah. and as long of as course, he can. Yeah. But, the, you know, I think what's nice, you know, the, one of the things that, that, that annoys me is that a uh, common sentiment that I hear from the left is like, well, what if he loses and he doesn't want to lose? It's like, look, that, I really don't think that that kind of thing is going to happen in the United States. He may not want to want to leave, but I think that he is at least 
Oh, he knows better than he, to, yeah. yeah. He, he, he like knows he'll throw a fit, but he'll be gone. Yeah. Like, it's besides, not. when a new president is sworn in, uh, you know, I mean, the, I mean, they have the military behind them, and then Congress. You know, I I think that even like I've before, seen Venezuela do uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do it myself. <laughs> they elected even, a new yeah. president. I'm calling myself the president of the people. I'm the new Maduro. I don't yeah. know why. Like I, you know, like he's I started doing, out. He's doing Trump hands. I no, well, I'm doing Trump hands, but I'm trying to get into the accent. But then I just started sounding like a drag queen. You know, yeah. I just it just morphed into like the drag queen Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking. Of, He's in, he knows from personal experience. Uh, yeah, I know. He just morphs uh, into that voice. Like, you want to know how I stay young? I keep was doing it. Was it uh, Carl from uh, Aqua Teen? Yeah, but you add yeah. a little lisp to it. You, yeah. take, you, you, know, you take Carl, you know, like this. You add a little lisp to it. And you go, you want to know the secret to stay young and beautiful? It's called cocaine. Okay? <laughs> um, no, but that... <laughs> Yeah, um, I would do an accident, but I won't. Uh, uh, that's totally fine. But you know, I guess we've talked about this for you know almost a half hour now. Have so we? Let's, Jesus Christ! I know. So let's move on a little bit. I want to let's let's start talking about this paper here. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh, here we go. What's Sorry, up? I forgot to leave the car seat uh, for my son. Uh, oh, yeah. who's in the doghouse uh, now? Yeah. You know what? Um, uh, yeah. Hold on. Yeah. No. No. Why don't we? No let's, let's, uh, let's, let's take a break. We're gonna take a mini like break. A five minute break. We're gonna take right. like a little break I'm for Ian to get some yeah. stuff going, and then we'll be we'll be back. <clears throat> so yeah. Hello, that, everyone. That, Welcome that back. A, that was a fun little. Uh, little that was a little detour there that yeah. we just had to. Parental take. responsibilities coming in. Yep, yeah. and I just I, I did definitely have to, had to tweet about it because I mean, you know, I, as I was sitting there in the passenger seat, just seeing Ian talk to his wife and and his and his son and and dropping that off, I'm just like. Yeah, you know, like it was kind of you know, it was bullshit at first to have to stop recording <laughs> to run this errand, but then I yeah. see him with his family and I'm like, you know what, this is necessary. Then I went, wait a minute, here's a good tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we good podcasters? Aren't we yeah. good podcasters yeah, and just yeah. you know, good t- t- tweeters? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Arguably, you 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 apparently make the claim that you're much better tweeter than I am. Oh, I don't make the claim that I'm much better than you. I just made the claim that I am better than you. I, I see. I yeah, see. there's no level of betterness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a master, but I am better than you. <laughs> All right. So yeah. okay. So I'm actually a little nervous to ask you to get into this article because last time that happened, something came up. But I'm going to attempt to do this. Hey, Ian, you just wrote an article. I wrote several, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, this this one that I'm in particular I want to talk about is what is the goal of feminism? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's mainly just some uh, some context. Perfect here. question asked by a dude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, man. <laughs> there are many, many men out there. I'm not trying to virtue signal. Feminist. That's that's just a real yeah. que- that's just a real honest question that I would say most dudes would ask. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. So some context here. It's uh, it's I guess an academic piece. It's for. Uh, 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 for university had to do with a, a class that I specifically was uh, taking on feminism and it was kind of the culmination of a lot of first of all outside uh, criticism that I had about feminism and uh, and the kind of intersectionality movement in general but then after taking the course you know for 10-11 weeks uh, then I started to feel very similar to my outside perceptions that I was bringing in, in that the goals, whatever whatever you think of as feminism is, there are very specific uh, 
forms of feminism in the paper I kind of break it down into you know the most what we most recently think of in rhymes as second wave feminism and third wave feminism third wave being the most uh, uh, I guess relevant to the conversation in that it has a lot to do with uh, you know not just gender and uh, and race but sexual identity and and orientation and class and all these other things that come into identity politics and my perception of that form of feminism is that the goal while at first didn't seem coherent to me it does it did necessarily i think uh, uh arrive at like look we we are trying to fight for progress however even within third wave feminism there are so many different uh little bubbles of it you know and different interpretations that the actual ways to meet those goals are so vastly different to me yeah. that it's actually hard to me to arrive at a goal that I don't even think is a good goal. So that's just the basis, you know, a uh, little bit of context there. So for Sure, and I think I think too where the where the main issue is here is like as with most I think it's not just solely focusing on the goal could get you in trouble because sometimes one could advocate that the goal of you know any any culture or any people or any group that is oppressed is to no longer have that oppression mm-hmm. and the goal is pretty self-explanatory where where i think you probably are more mean of your, of your problem which you can correct me if i'm wrong here is not the goal itself but it is it is the it is the way that you achieve that goal the path you take to achieve that goal and you know, if the path that you want to take is the transfer of oppression, which, you know, you can follow that there are several movements like your know, most beef of identity politics or, or things of that nature is it's not just a, a way to release oppression from oppressed cultures or, or a group of people, but it's more of a displacement or a shift of oppression mm-hmm. towards different cultures. And what you have is you have anybody that maybe tries to bring up that point or advocate that in general you know, obviously, you have extremist groups on the other side, whether it be alt right, and you know, you have the or white nationalists or neo Nazis that are taking an argument of simply just saying that you can't do that with oppression and using that to weirdly define their own version of continuing to oppress people. And I think people have a problem with separating those ideas. They, you know, for me, if I would to admit that I think that fighting oppression with oppression is not going to work. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make me a white nationalist <laughs> because I'm just admitting the fact that it's like me as an individual, like I feel like there's certain situations in my life where, you know, I may not want to be oppressed, you know, if I don't have that oppression, if I'm acknowledging that people don't have the same openness as me and they're fighting for that same openness. I don't necessarily would agree that limiting the openness for me, for you would be beneficial, especially because I I am in no much control as my ancestors as you are in control of your ancestors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you say things like that, or when you kind of try to flush out that argument, you're often linked with extremists. When extremists still very much want to oppress, you know, every anybody that isn't white, and, you, and it's really difficult to, to dif, dif, differentiate the people that still want like white to be dominant in the oppressions, as opposed yeah. to people that are just acknowledging that, like, no equality is only achievable if everything was if if the oppression was was get gotten rid of across right, the board. Right. Yeah, it's it's the it's the mere uh, questioning of whether or not uh, there is oppression on 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 certain dimensions. Then you're kind of inextricably linked to other oppressor groups, right? Right. And so and the first thing I want to get into too is I'm going to quote you here. You said you say um, because of its aim towards political activism. 
There appears to be either a fracturing or balkanization within feminism itself. Now, I'm curious about the term, you know, balkanization in general, because my understanding of the term may be a little bit different. But from my understanding of the term, balkanization is basically dividing a large either either body or region into equally hostile states or groups. Yeah. And so for me, balkanization in general, it, it, hostility or, or a group that's hostile as a whole, but then is equally hostile divided mm-hmm. is kind of where my definition of that going. So I, I want to just get you clarified. Do you think that the feminist movement in itself is in the realm of hostility? Like, are they being... Uh, yeah, I mean, not... I wouldn't say that the entire uh, movement itself or or, or specific um, ideologies within feminism are in, are inherently hostile to new or outside information um, or other groups. But I think that when it comes to... I think there's a lot of in-group fighting uh, in that regard. So there are a couple um, points that I point out, <laughs> a couple points that I that I point to and and talk yeah, that's about completely their, unnecessary. How pointed uh, they are. There's a couple points. Uh, <laughs> um, to, yeah. yeah, in case you're wondering, Ian I'm points out point. yeah. <laughs> his points. Yeah. So there, so there, there are a um, a few ideas that I link to when it comes to uh, again. I can't remember the the authors here just because I uh, I'd actually been working on this piece like over a month ago. Um, and finally publish it. But so, a few examples that I'll just give here is uh, no Iris yeah. Young. Iris Iris Young is who I have down here. It's one of the people that you quote. Okay, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a few. There's but, a few of them. Um, so, yeah. uh, so a couple of examples that I'll just point to here is like you can look at the several iterations of the Women's March, right? So there are two different large uh, uh, groups that identify as the Women's March, right? Um, who you know march all over the United States, you know, especially on DC and and uh, and even here in Eugene, where we're at. So there's one group who tries to be as all-inclusive as possible. If you are a woman, then you, you know, if you identify as a woman or whatever, you are marching with us. It just, it just does not matter. Yet there are other groups, like people who are uh, ran by people like Linda Sarsour, who say, like, yeah, we don't really, you know, who have said kind of taintful things against people who are Jewish and who don't really like to include Jewish women uh, within the march simply because they view Jewish women as uh, uh, who occupy places from a, uh, a position of privilege, right? And it's like that kind of thing that I see there's uh, certainly divide there. But then you also have people like trans-exclusionary radical feminists who are uh, known as TERFs, right? Who say that, look, you are if you are a woman, you are born biologically female and you cannot be otherwise. And if you attempt to identify as a woman, you know, and try to claim uh, some kind of form of oppression against you, like, you are still coming from a point of privilege because you've existed previously in your life as a man. And all of a sudden wanting to be part of a woman, you know, be part, uh, uh, whatever category of woman that you're, that you're trying to join here, then there are things that there are struggles that you just simply haven't had to deal with your entire life. You know, like when it comes to misogyny and other forms of, of sexism, you know, then you also kind of look to, uh, examples in sports, right? How there are, Women competitors in 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 women dominated fields who are previously men, right, and who are continually having like large advantages over the rest of their competitors, um, simply because of biological and physiological features that are inherent to them. And so there's a lot of pushback on that kind of thing. And 
so even then, I, that's that's basically what I'm talking about is that there's there's a fracturing in how we actually talk about womanhood, and especially when it comes to so I, I link another uh, study in here when it comes to uh, immigration policies and the marriage acts of the 80s. There uh, there was one woman who went to some of these women's shelters and how they viewed uh, certain women of color as being particularly oppressed by their husbands. Um, and a lot of them were either Latino or black, but when she moved on to uh, look at people of Asian descent, they had largely uh, uh, varying different experiences and pushed back on a lot of the same things that they were trying to push for the other groups like the Latinos and, and the and the black women trying to get marriage equality or not marriage equality, but um, uh, but changing the immigration statuses. So there's just there's really no. I feel like a historically good way to talk about it within those movements themselves. And right. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to the balkanization is that even when it comes to talking with each other, there doesn't seem to be uh, any points of agreement on how to arrive at, at their unifying goal. Right. And I think it's because, you know, a theory that I have is it's easy to look one way, but it's harder to look within yourself. So it's easy to claim that you have, you, you have right because of your oppression over a group of people that don't that are not oppressed. But then you get more complicated. So I think that the reason that third wave feminism gets complicated when you start adding in structures of of, you know, of personal identity where whether it be race, ethnicity, class, social class, yeah. all these things because for A, if you want to take social class, so it's like, you know, there are, you know, if you look at uh, cuz I I would argue that I've personally felt oppression just being poor. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to a systematic oppression, when it comes to what a capitalistic system provides. Now, it's completely different. It's a different style. It's a different form. It has nothing to do with like whatever privilege that I've had. I have just meant that there have been things, uh, you know, when you link back to freedom and, you know, like your other piece, but if you want to talk about freedom as opposed to is, a, is, is true freedom just non no oppression. So if I'm looking at like the freedom of me wanting to make my own choices and do my own things, I am oppressed in the sense that like I just don't have either the financial ability to be able to take that or I don't have the time to be able to move forward. And so my freedom and things that I may want to do or can do are greatly affected by the amount of money I have to do them. Yeah. So, you know, you can argue that route, but I think too, what happens is they stack on each other. So once you add race in, you go, well, okay, so women are oppressed, but you know, I am, you know, an Asian woman or I'm a, I'm a black woman, mm -hmm. you know, I'm oppressed more than you because I have the oppression of my race on top of the oppression of being a woman. And then you look at poor and you look at, like you said, the difference between, you know, correlation is different than causality. I, I really like when you talk about that because, you know, it's one thing to where poor is, there's no race for the poor. You know, you either, poor is poor. Yeah. You know, there's no have money, you don't. But there is correlation between different races and, and, and the vast level of how many are poor within that system. You know, and you can argue from a different lens. So that's why they stack and they get complicated because, okay, so you you see a strong correlation between poverty and, you know, and being black or African-American. You know, then you can make that connection of like, okay, so now, 
you know, they feel oppressed on many different fronts and there's a common link or there's a causality between not, sorry, not a correlation between like their economic status as well as, as their skin color. Mm -hmm. And you can take a look at that, but then you have, you know, whole parts of the country where, you know, the, the, the entire poor population of, of, of that state is, is, is white. So you can argue that that correlation between being poor and being that is that. So once you start to stack identity into it, Mm Then you have this hierarchy of oppression, this, these tiers that have to be factored into play. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe you see the divide of it's like, oh, it's all women. But then, you know, regular women are saying that trans women don't feel the certain, like, sexism. And then you have, like, you know, possibly women of, of you know, right now I think the, the most berated or harassed culture is, is you know, women of, 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 of Islamic faith. Like if you're a Muslim or if you, you're – they are definitely feeling that's like the new really to be burdened down on. And there's people that are just nice that are, that are feeling like, you know, they're being judged by what others have done. Yeah. And it's funny because when other people – when we try to make – when I try to make that argument of like, look, I don't want to be judged for things that I haven't done because if you judge me for everybody in my race, isn't that kind of somewhat racist and it's in its own right mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, I make it my point to judge an individual anytime that I can and it gets blocked. So it's like, you know, if somebody's following me and they have their hood up and they they seem threatening to me, I don't care what color they are. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I just feel threatened in general by that person's presence. Right. Um, and if they got a knife strapped to their hip, so it's like, if I try to run away or if I act differently towards that person, it's like, I don't want to be pigeonholed or categorized by what color of their skin is. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it should be about the contextual situation of it. Like, if, if the guy behind me and he's wearing a he's wearing a button-up and he's dressed up nice or he's just wearing normal clothes and he's not even paying me any mind and then I'm freaking out, yeah, that's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't... So, for me, I guess there has to be a little bit more context and needs to a little bit more flush out of what the situations are in order to really identify that. Yeah. And I, it gets tricky. Yeah, so that just yeah, yeah, I mean you really you really touch on like kind of my my big problem with just intersectionality in general mm-hmm. is that of course we should be talking about these about these problems. One of the things that I that I like about intersectionality just as a framework is that it it allows for that kind of multidimensional analysis. You know, like, oh, you're black, well of course this kind of oppression is affecting you in this way. But what if you're a woman also? Oh man, well we didn't th- we didn't even think about this, you know, like oh what if you're gay? Oh what if you're also Muslim? Like what about all this? So in that regard, I think that as a framework intersectionality can be really useful and that's why it's I think picked up so much steam since the, you know, late 90s and early 2000s when it was starting to originate. Uh, I think it was by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw who who came up with that term. Uh, it should be in my paper. You can look to that. But um but then the problem arises exactly what you speak to is that there is a hierarchy of oppression. You know, that's why we get this term oppression Olympics that comes out of the IDW. Right. Um, and at that point, then it actually becomes kind of hard to have a conversation. Um, you know, with the black Lives matter, uh, movement, you know, which I highlight too in there, you know, it was kind of this thing to like, look, black people are being killed in the streets by police, you know, in, in different parts of the country. How can we address this? Oh, look, here's a message. Like we are important as a, as a group and as a race, we needed people to, uh, to really take our, take us seriously. And that, that actual message I think is truly genuine. However, then you get other people who interpret that as saying like, whoa, like 
the rest of our lives matter too, you know? And so you get people like, you get, uh, groups of police, right? Like saying like blue lives matter or, you know, or then you, you get Hillary Clinton who kerfuffles and is like all lives matter, you know? But I mean, truly no lives matter. So like, that's why I think we should really be. All right, Mr. Nihilist. Um, but no, but I think you're onto something here yeah. because I think the really main point when I, and I wrote this down is, as is, is again, with the IDW, a lot of misconceptions are, they oftentimes are not arguing against the premise that oppression is real and that it should be stopped. They yeah. all agree with that. What they are critiquing is is the mode or the vehicle or the or the the process that these different groups are trying to use to achieve that goal. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you have scholars either with philosophers or either, you know, great intellectual thinkers and they're trying to go, look, it is a complicated world system that we're in and the way that you were trying to go about doing it may not be the most effective way. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're this, you're that, you're, you know, and they just yeah. go off because it's just that it's really difficult for people to hear criticism. And it's really difficult for people to separate the criticism ideas over the criticism of their movements or, or who they are. And it's like, again, it's not about the criticism of their overall ideas. It's a criticism on the implication the, of those ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's different. It's different. It's, I can critique, you know, for example, if we want to get it out there, there, like, it's like, I, if I critique you on the way that you bowl, and I go, well, why do you bowl that way? Like, you should really be singling up your hips so you can do and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, I'm not attacking your love for the game. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm yeah. not, you know, so you're not even attacking me. Like, you're just like, hey, like, you're, that's a weird way to bowl. Right. It's not so exactly for me, what's, what I feel like is going on with, with some of the IDW, now I can't speak for certain stuff. Like, for example, I know that Ben Shapiro is kind of in that category, and there's a few stuff that he has said that has been motivated by his religious beliefs that I feel is kind of unfair um, when it comes to, you know, the intellectual mind frame because he's really easy to critique other things drastically, but when it comes to certain aspects, uh, he doesn't go into as many details. So there is like, you know, some aspects of this that I understand where people can get it. But the majority, the bulk of it is, you know, if if oppression is bowling, you know, and your bowling style is what you're trying to knock down the pins of oppression. And here you are with your style. A lot of the IDW is just coming in being like, look, your form's wrong. Like, you're yeah. never going to hit a strike. Yeah, you know, with that form that you have. So why don't you adjust this, adjust that? And I feel like they're trying to critique on the form of getting a strike. And then people are turned around and being like, I can't believe you hate bowling. I can't believe you despise bowling. And it's like, whoa, whoa, yeah, it's not about bowling. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's literally just your technique to get a strike. Yeah. Like we both love bowling. We both want to see you strike. Yeah. But the current technique that or method that you're using now is not going to be as as achievable you know, and so I think that I don't know. I just kind of came with that metaphor on the spot, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I feel like that yeah. right. But I think it works. Yeah. It's like critiquing your bowling style doesn't necessarily mean that it's stating that they hate the game, yeah, or they hate that you love the game, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You know, and then the other, I guess the other, the only other aspect to that that I would add is that uh, to also bring in like a healthy dose of skepticism when it comes to talking about the nature of oppression. You know, because there are so many. You know, life is complicated and, you know, you like your example with, you know, seeing somebody uh, in a hood, you know, and you're and you're and they're it's like maybe you're walking home at night and it's like you're the only person around and this person may be like way bigger than you or something like that. And it's very foreboding. You're going to have that instinct of like, I should, you know, be cautious and perhaps fear for my life. It doesn't matter who the person is. Well, let's just say like that word gets out and the person happens to be somebody of a different skin color than you. And, you know, you're a white guy. Oh, God, are we, am I out on you as white? Or do, do people know that? 
Um, <laughs> we've literally done videos. Who yeah, can, we have. I think I've made uh, jokes about us, have you? you know, oh, okay. us being, being two white, white guys, guys talking yeah, about issues. Remember, yeah, and then anyway. you told me you got on me for signaling and all. Oh, that that's true. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but no, you know. If, but if that were to get out, somebody could very well be like, "You're being racist against that other person, or you're directly directly contributing to their oppression." And I think there we run into this problem. I brought up this metaphor before. That if we if we see smoke, then a lot of times we assume that there is fire attached to it. When it could just be something else is actually going on, something much more benign. Um, and so to have a healthy dose of skepticism, it doesn't mean to just like assume that there could be no oppression, but at least just say like, look, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Let's get the facts straight and figure out like how do we move from there. Right, and that's why I'm I'm more open to you know like I I kind of agree with the concepts of systematic oppression because that's a little bit different than daily oppression or oppression of people on people. And uh, to kind of clarify what I mean by that is, you know, obviously reading uh reading reading American philosophy a love story by Jonathan Kegg. Uh, he really does go into the bulk of detail talking about particular women who tried to be philosophers and they were shut down and they weren't allowed and and they had to either move to the outskirts of places that would allow them to do it or they just shut it down and then you think about that and you go okay well if that generation before us they it was it was the behavior was taught that women are not allowed to be philosophers uh-huh. then even if you have an itch to do that most people are going to comply and then you're going to have like this this fast forward to 100 years and we don't have that many philosophers cuz maybe back then and it's again it's causality it's 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 difficult to argue that you know, look at the counterfactuals. If men allowed women at that time to partake in philosophy, would there be more women philosophers? Or would they find out naturally that that's just like an, a, a style that, or, or, or a form of thinking that they don't want to be a part of? Yeah. You know, yeah. so like you said, some, some of it is difficult to separate because of time and because of ancestral linkage. And if you believe in genetics and you believe in and behavior picked up throughout your family and throughout your environment, it's easy to understand that if you have been raised to not think that that is something a woman should do or, or a man should do, you know, and the idea of trans where it's like the different spectrum where it's like men are trying to do more feminine things. And, and that's also being deemed incorrect as far as women trying to do masculine things. And that's also like how much of that is just the, 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 the inclination inside of yourself to not want to go down those routes yeah. or how much of that is, okay, well, you know, for hundreds of years, women have never done that. And so it's not something that they would be more of programmed to want to think to do or, or not want to explore. Yeah. 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 And you know, the, it, and I also kind of find, I run into issues of talking about like, you know, systemic oppression in general. I think that certainly historically it makes sense to talk about like how certain groups of people, especially women have been, directly and 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 you know explicitly been forced out of certain uh ways of 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 work and career um you know whether or not it's somewhere in the academy or some other right you know, or not paid uh, in, as in some much other industry something or, like that you know um but i think today you know not that we have you know progressed to a more egalitarian society but that we've just been more open as a society to like let people do what they want um i think that systemic oppression just having that be your bad guy is i think a little bit too ambiguous you know because what is the system and you know there are so many things that make what you know whatever system you're talking about 
you know, if it's academia, for example, there are so many things that make that that system work. There's so many uh, gears at play that when you talk about you know the system being directly oppressive towards a towards a group of people, then one you it's hard to pinpoint like where exactly the the system is going wrong. I think, but two, I think that also gives rise to people wanting to tear down the system entirely when there could be a lot of good things coming out of it, you know, and it's just like, okay, well, let's actually, if you if your problem is the system, let's look into where the system is failing. Maybe this gear isn't working exactly right. And it's holding up some other part of it. Let's go and replace that, you know, rather than just, let's just destroy the system. Right. And I think it's more based on just a, it's just a cultural collective understanding of behavior that is right or behavior that is wrong. And I think, too, that you look at certain aspects. So, for example, it is proven cognitively that that our brains will react to to images of people of different color if we or ethnicity or things like that. And our brains will start to react before we even have a co- like a conscious recognition of the photo. So yeah. it is proven that there are impulses that will trigger from seeing somebody before you even realize that it's happening. Yeah. And if you're trained to view certain cultures, you know, again, we, we are, if you believe in evolution, then there's the whole concept of us and them. And, you know, that's how tribalism is. And we're going to succeed because we have our group and, and they're against our group. And the more that we become social with our, with our growing technology and how it's easier to live and we're, we're less focused on survival. So we're more focused on social. Um, which I think is, is kind of contributing to the fact that like with each generation that comes up, you know, I think it's less oppressive than the generation before it. But the problem is, is you look at what other generation that holds the most amount of power, whether it be political or whether it be corporate or whether it be stuff like that. And I think systematic oppression is what, what I can link it to is it's not just this loosely based term. It's just that the, the, the old, is what dominates the most powerful positions, CEOs and politicians and things like that. And they have all come from a time that is not as kind of open as we are now. And again, I think I agree with the sentiments of what a lot of these people are trying to do. They're just trying to acknowledge that if I walk into an interview, you know, I'm going to be treated differently than Mm -hmm. you are. It's going to be, it's going to be viewed differently. And that, and that, and that depends on all sorts of stuff because right now there's an article I read that they're finding that, with with more millennials kind of taking over the job force and they're hiring less older people. So people in their you know in their late forties are, are struggling to find jobs because they're finding that they're they're not being hired at the rate that of younger people are being hired because we want to hire younger people. Yeah. So then you have the problem not only just sex, but you have the problem with, with your age too and, and what that does and you're gonna be judged by all sorts of stuff. I know in the restaurant industry it's like you're you're not supposed to discriminate against anything but like I've heard like Dutch or the customer service and they're like Dutch brothers got in trouble because they were only hiring beautiful women. Like then they had that law passed where they have to hire one male for every four women. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like I mean, one male for every yeah, four women. I, I just and, think there, there comes a point and, and like, what is the name of the game? You know, if, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to condone what Dutch bros wanted to do. But, like, if they know that having a bunch of beautiful women will go out and sell coffee, especially when they're trying to compete with so many other bigger businesses like Starbucks, then, I, you know, if there are women willing to do the work, I, do, I guess it's just like, 
Like, why not? You know, like, why stop them from doing that? Now, of course, you do get into some hairy problems with that. You know, like, which women are you hiring and doing? Right, right. You know, like, uh, you know, I certainly don't think it would be ethical to be like only hire white women, you know, or only hire black women or, or whatever. Right. Choose your choose your color. Right. You know, um, it definitely should be diverse in that way, um, especially when the qualifications are only being beautiful, you know, and however subjective that is, you know, to the hirer. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much you want more you wanted to get into this, but um, no. Yeah. The only last thing I want to talk about, uh, and this one in particular, is is this concept that I said that what is it, Iris uh, Marion Young? Is mm-hmm. it Marion or yeah. Marion? Oh, Iris yeah. Marion Young. You know the, this kind of breakdown of, uh, and you put the oppression being a condition of social groups. Yeah. So basically, saying that you know it wouldn't exist if there wasn't for social groups. And the the thing that the kind of different correlations about this that I want to bring up is is mm-hmm. I see this in one of two ways. So the one way that I see it is I would disagree that oppression exists only within social groups because it's the individual that at the end of the day feels oppressed from a different individual. But they are categorized in a group by that individual doing the oppressing and by the individual feeling oppressed. So Again, we struggle with terms of if if you have a collective group of people that have similar mentalities because they have similar experiences, they're they're still individuals and their experience is still individualistic, but there is more empathy and there's more understanding across the board because the stories are similar. So you have a collective group of that and you have things that connect that group. And it's the individual that is oppressed that feels pain, that does that. Groups don't feel pain. And oppression, I would argue, is if, if it didn't cause some sort of of pain or if it didn't cause some sort of uncomfortability, then we wouldn't know about the term in general. So again, it's crediting that if social groups didn't exist, maybe if it's a thought experiment, it's she more of meaning that as individuals judging other individuals, if we had no concept of groups of people that have been created, then we wouldn't be able to oppress them by that group because the group therefore wouldn't exist. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty, it's a it's a it's a convoluted way to try and figure out like what exactly she means. I was uh, iffy myself on yeah. on trying to understand what she got at it. So my so let me just say then I think that it's groups who are oppressed. I don't think you can necessarily oppress go out and oppress each individual uh, individually. Um, however, it is the individuals of those groups that necessarily feel the oppression. However, their experiences can vary greatly. And so my my issue, I guess, with that, the reason why I'm skeptical if individuals can be uh, held responsible for the, um, for the actions of whatever group they're part of, is that there could very well be an individual uh, who is within a, a quote-unquote oppressed group or a minority group who is totally blatantly ignorant of their of whatever oppression they're they're being labeled and may be doing perfectly well in their society and i just think that first of all they shouldn't be held responsible for the rest of the of the group's uh motivation in trying to um uh change their uh change their status um and secondly i just i just don't know I don't know. Uh, the, the 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 problem the problem with viewing this through the lens of, of groups is that is that the groups often are the ones having the say over other individuals. Right. You know when 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 the when an individual just 
may have a totally different view. I get that's that, I guess that's my big problem. Sure. And what Young is trying to get at is that I don't know. I, I I'm still I'm I guess I'm just still fuzzy on on what Young is trying to get at. And, no worries. And I and I wouldn't want to make any claims that um, that are outside of my understanding of her. I no, just think that uh, that yeah you you just you run into trouble when uh when trying to move beyond that bigger scope yeah i guess i have one more thing because i i wanted to i thought it would be funny to call this out so you talk about you know uh science and sense or or you know understanding that you you science logs its hits and misses Mm -hmm. um and you said science doesn't really have one side or another and you would kind of go down that route but then you refer to um your 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 fear of 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 pitching revolution as the yeah yeah as the thing but and then you make a comment, excuse me, uh, CO2, it really does work. Yeah. Um, so refer, <laughs> <laughs> refer to, so you said you refer to history with, uh, with, with the ident, ident, identitarian, identi- uh, yeah, identitarian revolution, mm-hmm. but no example. And you said refer to history for its thing. And so I said, huh. He didn't provide an example, but he did say that the history was bad. So I wanted to look up revolutions just to see which one was important. And I want to talk about the American Revolution, which happened between 1765 and 1783. And in case nobody's familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one in particular I would, uh, you know, I would argue is a different identity because America wanted a different identity. And uh, that one's the original, as what led to the original 13 colonies and the creation of America. So one could argue... <laughs> That to school me on this one? No, I'm not trying to school you. I'm just saying here's an example of, or maybe why they might be going to that revolutionary style thinking is because if it wasn't for that revolutionary style thinking and wanting to live in a world that is better for the people, um, that is basically the origin story of America. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think I'm not advocating for revolution. I'm just stating that, like, I can understand. So I I guess uh, I think that the United States is a little bit of a different case. Um, uh, You know, you have you have a group of people who are wanting to escape an oppressive regime, right? Who, but it's not necessarily uh, identity doesn't really come into play. I don't think it's not necessarily like uh, we're you know a bunch of white people trying to fight against you know black people or whatever that is. You know, it's it's taxation without representation you know that's kind of like i think the main drive right is that you know the 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 england over there like they wanted everything to be done their kind of way and the colonists felt that like hey look we're trying to do things our own way you're not even really representing our needs we want to be our own independent nation whereas someplace like i don't know the bolshevich revolution i think is a good example you know you have uh, you know, certainly an oppressive uh, class of the czars wanting to um, run the run the Russia a certain way, and then you have the socialist revolution and trying to have this whole entire identity of of class, you know, built in there. Then you also have uh, places like you know France when the they were colonizing the Algerians, and uh, I can't remember when it was. It was like from. The eighteen something to to the early nineteen hundreds, you know, it was a it was a group of colonies who were like, hey, like we're not French people, we you know we don't want anything to do with you, and so they you they justified violence and fighting against uh, fighting against the France colonizers, but then when they kind of things settled a little bit, at least pushing out the France the the France rather, then they were still f- fighting within their own nation. So I just think that. 
revolution and i mean and you can again you can i think look to america is, is still a great example because even after our american revolution we had a civil war which a civil know, war yeah. is i think just a fancier version for a re- like if you have a civil <laughs> war it's it's a revolution kind of yeah, like it's it's, it's, of, it's kind yeah. of Im- it's a kind of implicated because like Maybe, you would yeah. need a resolution you need a revolution to build up a following to be able to have an opposing army to fight within your own country yeah, yeah. um if you're going to have civil war but i will say this though you know i was just kind of poking fun because if there's one thing that i agree your fear about revolutions because if there's one thing that's in all the revolutions that i looked up a majority of them did not go well yeah. first of all the ones that did go well, fantastic. But the things that they have in common, either if they went well, they didn't. The one thing that all revolutions have in common is shit tons of people die. <laughs> yeah. Shit tons of people yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, like, and that's on all the ones you look up, they're like, and they, you know, even America, and they're and like, millions of people. Yeah, died. and they're yeah. like, and this happened, and, you know, 20,000 people died. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like 20,000 of this side, 50,000 of this side. And probably back then, 20,000 is a lot of fucking people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, or I can put it back then, in general, 20,000 people is a lot of people. Right, yeah. No, um, it is. But, you know, and just, just to continue with this example of the United States, I mean, like, I mean, you know, there are a lot of good things going on in the United States, but I would also argue that like things are not exactly doing so well. Like even even though things have kind of sort of settled, you know, since like the Civil War and and World War One or World War Two, uh, we're still very divided and mm-hmm. and we don't agree. And and people think there is a little literal tyrant in the White House right now. And so like take what you will. I I just don't think that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think well, no, maybe some are good in Well, general. some closing stuff then, I guess, uh, you know, because, yeah. let's see, some closing We're stuff. We're close lot. on time here. We but, are, but yeah. I guess you brought up Trump, so I actually wrote something down, but I, because I put the idea of most movements nowadays are driven by activism. And if we were pushed, okay, and you, you, okay, this is what you are saying. Let me clarify. Yes, yeah. You were saying that the idea of most movements are driven by political activism, and people that are kind of on the margins kind of create their own groups, furthering divide. Which, and then I argue that maybe that's how we got Trump in the White House, is because you have all of these movements that are advocating for a particular style, and then you have people that either are not radicalized by political activists Mm -hmm. or they're not, you know, for me, because I don't consider myself a political... Do I critique politics? Absolutely. Do I I critique democratic systems? Absolutely. Do I I critique Republicans? Yes. Democrats? Yes. Do I even critique progressives? And and democratic oh, absolutely, I critique all. I've never of them. heard you do that though. So so far, I'm not believing. <laughs> um, and well, what I mean is even within myself. So yeah, what I'm yeah, telling you is, I critique my own views or my own understandings. And then with the you know, even though I wear these particular labels, I'm not spouting stuff that a, a radical uh, person of 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 a progressive would believe. Or mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not invested in the radicalism. Not invested in the in the crazy like political activism. So. And I'm not shifted, but what I think is happening is that so many people were focused on this this activism of equality and things like that, that there was a whole sector of the economy, of, of groups of people that were just pushed to the wayside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did they do? You know, they entrusted a man that found out about this marginalized group that spoke to them directly. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Trump fan base was born. Yeah. You know, his his core base, the one that will protect him thick and thin is because they Trump, what I will give him credit for is he found them. He found these people that have been pushed to the margins of the old school traditional style way of living. 
You know, and what's that's why he's connected to racism and things like that, because a lot of those people obviously did not mind not being oppressed, whether they believe in, in oppression, whether they believe in their privilege or not. One thing they do believe in is that they liked the old style of life. They liked what's going on. They did not like the movement of where it's going, regardless of if you feel that they're right in their actions. They still didn't like the way it's going. And Trump found them. And now they're his base. And now, fast forward, we're in the fucking shit show that we're in now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I definitely think, I mean, this is the power of, of, of resentment, you know, yeah. you, like you, you have these people in the margins who, you know, and some of them may not have like entirely regressive ideas. Some of them may be perfectly reasonable. They just like think that this political theater is a shit show and they're like, yeah, fuck you. Like Trump, is, yeah, hell yeah, I'm voting for Trump because this is bullshit. Yes. And you know, I have a friend who's very much like that where he's not a republican he's not a conservative he just think that a lot of this is just silly mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he was just like yeah trump whatever you know it's cool and i'm like you know if, of course it's hard for me to like entirely align with those views but you know i can sympathize in a way that it's just like yeah i mean if i felt that way i might very well vote for somebody like trump and right so, again yeah. and i love too i love that like the other day i saw this like very he's a very big trumps of order very classic conservative and, you know, he posted this thing of like about, you know, somebody getting into something of power or about no AOC. So he's posting oh, about yeah. AOC and he said he posted a meme about like, you know, uh, uneducated people will be the death of democracy. And it was just hilarious. It's nothing more ironic. <laughs> nothing more ironic. Nothing more ironic. Yeah. And so my last little thing before I give you last little thing sure. is, first of all, I'm going to help Ian out here. This article that we were talking about is called What is the Goal of Feminism? You can find that on his website, modernoverman.com. Oh, my God. Like, uh, look at that. He's plugging that. Yes. Work. Yeah. And so that's what we've been talking about today. But the last thing I want to say is that with all of these problems, what I find is that they're, they're – they're, again, I'm a personal optimist. And what that means is that I have been more about – I guess context and and interpreting each situation and giving people the benefit of the doubt and giving people this like more of a contextual understanding of what's going on in many different levels because I find that helps me from getting upset. And I think that that same implication should be taught across the board. And so again we're going to link this back to education where in government, I wish I would have not just learned what the three branches were and what they did. I wish I would have learned the power of a democracy, the power of voting, and the power of being educated, and the power of having uh, the ability to critically think and the ability to to come at policies with more of a structured way. And that's why I think you should also teach everybody growing up should learn philosophy as well. And even if it's just a little touch of it, philosophy should be mandatory because it gets you to think outside of your own personal experience. And that is huge. Mm-hmm. That's what the biggest struggle is for me, continuing trying to learn and grow above my own experiences, is continuing to take a moment to understand that the way that I view the world is not going to be how other people view it. And I need to try to, like a good game is pick somebody else's perspective and try to find a way to see the world through their lens and still connect it back to the way that you see the world. If you can get the way that somebody else thinks and get them to view your same thing, that's the problem. The problem that we're having is people go, this is how I view the world. And if somebody doesn't view it the same way, you would just attack them with hate and anger and misjudgment. And I think if you use the tools that you feel that are coming at you to fight them, you're never going to accomplish anything. Yeah. And so with all of the shit that Ian and I have been talking about, and with all the shit that we're going to continue to be talking about, our main goal here is to get you to think 
and to get you to try to do your best. Now, again, you might already do this. I'm not like singling people out here, but um, <laughs> you, my, my listeners, you have to think. Um, but no, I think that the reason why Ian and I want to keep talking about these complex issues, even if there's something that people may feel like we have no business talking about, but it's to get you to think about percept- like per- like understandings of this way that are different than your own, and it's to really focus in on the fact that we're kind of fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. But 2020 is coming what, up. What are you, I thought you were an optimist. Yeah. No, you know, again, it's personal optimism. As a collective, we're screwed. And me as a person, I'm cool. I'm See, fine. See, as a libertarian, I don't give a shit what anybody you do. <laughs> as long as it doesn't affect me. But it yeah. will. Yeah, it won't. Anyway, I'll, I'll what I'll do you want to say? I'll just turn off my ears and eyes and yeah. everything. Uh, I don't know. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it no, makes you, you feel like an asshole. I make my profound <laughs> yeah. statement, and he's just like, "No, no, I, I, I just think that uh, no, I, I think thanks for listening. Like seriously, like yeah, uh, yeah. you know, our listeners uh, are are what help are, are. Oh my god, my words are just like slowly just yep, degrading yep, out of my yep, mouth yep. as I speak. Uh, no, no, our listeners are what really make this conversation possible. I think that. Our job, you know, if we if we if we have jobs as podcasters, is to, is to help stimulate this kind of conversation and to help everybody engage and know that there are no bounds. I think that's I think that's key, right? Is that everything should be talked about and you know figuring out where uh, where the reaches are of our intelligence go and and searching for wisdom and all that and I don't think we're as fucked as Josh <laughs> thinks uh, but I but I definitely think that there are issues on the horizon that we're probably not prepared to do. True, with. I'm being more comedic. I just meant yeah. that. Yeah, it's like again when you when I start reading more books like Robert Robert Robert's book uh, behavior the Robert Sapolsky. Yeah, let's yeah. just. Pull I'm not your just saying Robert S. again. Yeah, yeah, but again, the reason why I enjoyed that book is 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 it it's, it was behavior and it's basically human beings at their worst and best and it's it's a book that is based on like the neuroscience of behavior. And reading that, it was actually like really sh- like I think I my my spine shivered a few times reading stuff that I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, I've done this very thing he's describing, yeah. and now he's telling me what my brain is doing in order to come to that, and and really he's the one that got me on this idea of biological luck and got me on the d- idea of how your environment really does affect your genetic growth and how it affects your brain development and how all of these things work together to create a human being and why we do what we do, why we're impulsive, we're impulsive, why we think the way we think. Mm-hmm. And there are marketing and advertisers that have already tapped into this impulsive behavior that we have. And I think that more people on average should really understand that a lot of what we do you know, could be better understood. And once you have better understanding, it could lead you to kind of a better frame of mind to interpret these things. And and I feel like I, I've discovered that within myself. And so I want to get on this podcast and thank you as people to allow me to have an, an outlet to where Ian and I can just get together and bullshit. But the reason why we bullshit is because we find that it's necessary to do so. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. And and that is why we changed our name. And so, again, guys, like we just want to thank you for, for listening. We want to thank you for going down this journey with us if you've gone down this far. If this is your first time listening, then you're in for a doozy. 
Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. We have a, a, a ridiculous backlog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we really don't. But we 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 are really focused on just trying to stimulate the conversation, and so make sure that you guys like, share, subscribe, review us on iTunes. Um, there please. Might, there might be a couple reasons why it's beneficial for you to do that. Yeah. Cough, cough, nudge, yeah, nudge. Yeah, Two hundred dollar yeah, gift win. card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, you. Uh, my name is Ian Savage. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Modern Overman. And uh, that's the same name as my website, also. So there we go. Um, I am Josh Simpson. You can find me at the at the Only One blog, and that is the Only One CF. And my Twitter handle is at the Only One blog. And also, don't forget to follow and like and share the podcast. Yeah, yeah, please. I mean, we're we're already growing pretty good. We were up to like. I think we're almost up to like 180 followers. Something like that. We're still trying to grow. Like everybody's got to start somewhere, guys. So uh, again, find us on Twitter. That's at Necessary BS Pod. Um, That's also our Instagram handle, at Necessary BS Pod. We're on Facebook now. Uh, We just have the promo video out. (laughs) Facebook, man. Don't. Uh, Yeah, we're not going to have a whole entire episode on Facebook. Yes, we are. But (laughs) we're on Facebook. And then, then of course, our website is NecessaryBS.Buzzsprout.com. Yeah. Hail Hydra. What? Yeah, you know, Hail Hydra. I know, Red Skull. Yeah. Right. Hail Hydra. (laughs) Uh, Everything that guy just said is bullshit. Thank you.